Oh, Father in heaven, you know there's so much more I could have said. But Lord, you are the one who leads us. You are the shepherd of our hearts. All of us were brought here to Hayden Lake for this short period of time because there's something you want to accomplish in the community, but also in us. But Lord, this world is not our home. We're pilgrims. We're looking for a city whose foundation and builder is God. And so for this time in history, our paths crossed. And now, Lord, we'll be heading in different places, meet in a few days, weeks, and there'll be others. But ultimately, Lord, we have an appointment at your banqueting table in your home. We look forward to that. Father, now as we enter into this presentation, we thank you so much for the incredible sacrifice you made for each one of us. You didn't die for groups. You died for individuals. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for that precious blood that washes away our sin, and we pray for the outpouring of your spirit. We pray for your righteousness to cover us. Lord, this is your church. These are your people. And we pray you'll draw near and speak to us and prepare us for the days ahead. We thank you for this so much. And we ask and we pray that the only voice that will be heard here now will be that of Christ. Lord, I pray that you will draw my mind together, harness it, make it efficient, that your name will be glorified, your message delivered. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In our last presentation, we talked about the judgment in 1844. This is a message that's just not being given by anybody else. And we, we have learned that in 1844 that the atonement began in heaven. The judgment began in heaven. And to be more, more specific, in the fall of 1844, and to be more specific still, October 22. And we learned in our studies that as the investigative judgment, the judgment began in heaven, that God raised up a movement on earth to warn the world to let the world know that the last phase in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven has begun and that God is cleansing the books our books in heaven as we ask for forgiveness and we yield our lives to him the blood of Jesus washes the sin recorded in those books but as he is working to cleanse those books there is a simultaneous cleansing that's taking place in the life of his people, a cleansing from sin as God is preparing us to go home. And, that, and, and, and we learn that, that God accomplishes that cleansing and what we have learned is called the daily experience of every day coming to Christ, of every day asking God to make sure there's no sin between my soul and my Savior, every day recommitting my life to the Lord Jesus, every day asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon my life, every day getting into the Word of God, which is the bread of life, and every day communing with Him in prayer, the daily experience. My friends, when the day of atonement ends, Jesus will return. Jesus will soon return. You know, in, in the Bible, that is one of the most exciting themes that is repeated over and over. In fact, the Bible records or mentions the second coming over 2,500 times. Did you know that? The reason being is because it is the blessed hope. It is the climax 
of all of our joy and hope is Jesus Christ. But don't you know it? Today there's a great deal of confusion about the coming of Christ. And it's just the way the devil would have it. The devil doesn't want to understand it, so he's thrown out confusion. But it's nothing new. Because when Jesus came the first time, the devil threw out confusion then as well. You know, <clears throat> the Bible talked about the, the city that Jesus would be born in. Which city was it? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. It told us what the sign would be. Do you remember what it was? It was a star in heaven. You remember the wise men recognized it. The prophecies of Daniel, we learned, also told us the approximate time when the Messiah would make his presence. Didn't it? It also told us how he would die. It was all there. Israel had access to it all. It was all in the scriptures. But instead, people came up with fanciful teachings. And the people did not study for themselves. Are you listening? And instead, they listened to the religious leaders who taught that the Messiah would be this conquering king who would come from out of nowhere to defeat the hated Romans and raise Israel to world domination. And that one was far more appealing than the suffering servant who came. And so, Israel, the people of God who had all the right books, was deceived. And they rejected the Lord of glory. Well, my friends, the Bible also speaks about the second coming of Jesus. And today there are two teachings now that are very, one of them is very prevalent and the other one isn't. The prevalent one talks about the second coming coming in two stages. The first is something called the secret rapture and then there's a seven-year uh, tribulation in between and then the actual coming. Um, and uh, we will find that after the actual coming, that Jesus will then come, according to this teaching, and set up his kingdom amongst the sinful nations and reign for a thousand years. Good luck finding that in the Bible. We find that this rapture is a sneaky event. That Jesus does somehow sneaks up on planet Earth and then poof, people start disappearing. If you're flying on that day, you better hope your pilot isn't one. They say that the rapture will be invisible to the wicked. They claim that the rapture leaves the wicked unharmed. This teaching uh, says that uh, the rapture takes place before the revelation of the Antichrist. The Antichrist only makes his revelation after the rapture and then causes the seven-year tribulation and the... Um, and even during that seven-year time, the wicked have a second chance to, uh, to redeem themselves. In fact, they even have a third chance during the thousand years when Jesus sets up his kingdom amongst the wicked. That is the popular teaching today. And it's error. I remember when I was um, working in, in First Union Mortgage, we were doing Bible studies, and it was a, a cross-denominational study. Uh, we had lots of people there. We had Catholics and Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and you name it. And, uh, and the Adventist was the teacher. And um, so the subject came up of the second coming and I said I'd be happy to teach it. And there, there was a chill in the room because they all knew that what I was going to present was going to be different than what they believed. 
and I sensed it. We were friends, and I looked at them, and I said, look, why don't we do this? Why don't you all get together and put a study together next week and, and teach from the Word of God what you understand about the second coming, and then I'll do the same, and then we'll just kind of hammer it out and, 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 uh, and sift through it. What do you guys say? And so they liked the idea. They agreed, yeah, that's what we'll do. I knew how that was going to end up. And, um, and so I came back the next week. We all sat around the table, and I said, why don't you all go first? And nobody moved. And they were all kind of looking at each other out of the corner of their eyes, and I said, is, is something wrong? And uh, I said, you all have the studies, right? And there was no study. And I said, well, what's the problem? And they said, well, we couldn't agree. Really? Well, couldn't you find Bible text? And there was silence. And I said, okay, why don't I do this then? Let me share with you what I have found in the Bible regarding this topic. And so I'm going to share that with you here today. But there is another reason why we need to study this. Friends, you need to know what you believe. The Bible, the Bible very strongly communicates to us that the devil is going to make a false appearing before the real. And if you do not know your word, and if your confidence is not in the word, you're going to be swept away. I'm just telling you right now, we have got to be in the word. If you believe your Bible, you're not going to have any trouble with the presentation today. But if you have placed your confidence in man and not in the Word, you're going to struggle today. So let's begin with our presentation. When the Day of Atonement ends, Jesus' second coming. Now you should have lessons with you in your bulletin. And let's begin with question number one. And you remember the highlighted parts is where you helped me. Okay? Who... Is the king who is the one who will soon emerge from the temple in heaven? Revelation fourteen fourteen tells us. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown. You know, in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, as the record of the sins of Israel that had been collecting over the year were being cleansed, you remember that the people were to be outside. And they were to be focused on what was happening in the temple. They were to be thinking and making sure that there was nothing between their soul and their Savior. Because once the high priest came out, it was over. And if there was anything remaining between their soul and their Savior, they would be cut off. Do you remember this? And so it was critical. Now, there was no time frame. It wasn't like they said that the high priest has to be in there conducting this for the next 45 minutes. They they never knew when the high priest was going to come out. There's a message there for you and I. That as our high priest is in the heavenly sanctuary, cleansing our books, friends, that has to have our focus. It has to. Each day, we don't know when Jesus will come out. Each day, we need to make sure that everything is right between our soul and our Savior. Is that true? Amen. So important. But you know the day, and and you know, it's really interesting that when the high priest was finished, you remember he had the humble garb of a priest. He didn't have his high priestly garb when he conducted this service. But what he would do is he would take off his priestly garb, then put on the royal priestly garb and come out. My friends, the day is coming when Jesus is done with his work as priest. He will take it off and he will put on his kingly outfit. 
He's going to turn to the angelic host and he's going to say, it is done. Let's bring him home. I look forward to that day. Don't you? Number two. Now, we, we were told that, it, that, that, that in the secret rapture, it's going to be a real quiet event. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Number two. Will Jesus come quietly when he returns? First Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, with a, vo- with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the, the trump of God. By the way, in the, day, in the times of Israel, the loudest thing they had was a trumpet. That's as loud as it got. All right? So, so far we're hearing shouting and trumpets. Jeremiah 25.30, it says, The Lord will what? Roar. Roar from on high and utter His voice from His holy habitation. He will roar mightily against His fold. He will give a, a shout. And I like this last one in the book of Psalms. You know, does God know the future? So I think He had a message for us here. Psalms 50, verse 3, Our God shall come and shall keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. So, second coming, my friends, is going to be noisy beyond description. There's going to be shouting, roaring, trumpets, and it's going to be stormy. You know, when I was a kid, and I used to watch TV programs. I don't do that anymore, and I'm not advocating it. But, uh, and I didn't know history. It was Holly Weird's version of history. But you remember when, when, when the little village was in big trouble, and, and, and you know, the bad guys were coming to, to wipe them out, at the very, at the, suddenly the cavalry would show up. That was the climax. There was no sneak attack. The, the, the bugle, you could hear it. When Jesus returns, it is the climax. It is, it, it, it is the rescue mission. I, rest assured, it's not going to be a quiet affair. You know, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of uh, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read to you a verse. That uh, you've heard quite often, especially in connection with the, the, the secret rapture. By the way, Seventh-day Adventists believe in the rapture. They don't believe in the second rapture. I mean the secret rapture, excuse me. They don't believe in the secret rapture. They believe in the rapture. Rapture means to be taken up. We're going to find the Bible teaches we're going to be taken up. But it's not going to be a secret affair. But take a look at this, um, at this verse. Uh, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night. Stop. And, and an entire theology is built on those words. The problem is that there's more words that follow. And we've got to do a Paul Harvey. Let's read the rest of the story. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. What we're looking at is a planet that is going to be depopulated. 
And in the, ra- in the secret rapture theory, <laughs> there is no time when the earth will be depopulated. Now later, there's going to be a study in the millennium. And you're going to see there, in the millennium is taught, why the earth will be depopulated. But the Bible tells us, if you wipe away the atmosphere, can anybody breathe? No. And so we got to let the Bible te- be our teacher. Amen? Don't trust your soul to any man. Not this pastor either. Make sure to study your word for yourselves. Okay, let's continue. Uh, number three. What other physical evidence will accompany Jesus' return? Revelation 16, 18 says, And there was noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake. Um, You're getting the picture here. This is going to be an an enormous event. Number four, who will see Jesus return? Now, it is interesting in the secret rapture, it is saying that only the righteous, the wicked, won't see. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Who will see Jesus when he returns? Matthew 24, 30 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then what? All the tribes of the earth. By the way, how how much of all is all? All of the tribes of the earth will what? Now, wait a second. If only the righteous saw him, shouldn't there be celebration? Not everybody's going to celebrate when Jesus returns, my friends. There's going to be mourning. And they will, what's the next word? See the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds and... Now, isn't it, couldn't, he, couldn't he have just have said he's coming and people are going to see it? Isn't it funny that the scripture goes so far as to say every? Did God know what the deception would be in the end? Yes, he did. Every eye will see him. Number five, who will be with Jesus when he returns in the clouds? Matthew 25, 31 says, when the sun, oh, wait a second. No, I want to show you this picture. You know, I have seen many paintings over the years of the second coming, but there hasn't been one that has grabbed my imagination like this one. One day, the heavens will be filled with radiant forms as heaven's cavalry come to take us home. Who will Jesus, who will be with Jesus when he returns? Number five. Matthew 25, 31 says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and how, and how many of the angels? Hey, let's pause right there. Has it occurred to you that the day is coming when there will be no one in, in the New Jerusalem? There will be no one in heaven. For a moment, when the Lord says we're coming, All the angels say, you're not leaving us behind. We're coming with you. There's not going to be anybody there because they're all coming to take us home. That's so cool. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He shall sit on the throne of His glory. You know, what will that be like? I can't help but think that when Jesus was 
was resurrected, remember an angel came down and surrounding the tomb that, that, that early morning were a hundred of the most fierce soldiers known to history. And when this one angel came, those 100 guys fell on their faces. They were terrified. They fell as dead men. What will it be like when from horizon to horizon the sky is filled with these radiant beings who are coming to take us home? Amazing. My friend, when those angels show up, when that entourage show up. By the way, uh, I also have a reference here in Luke 9.26 that not only will Jesus be there, his Father will too. You think the world is going to be aware? Oh yeah. They'll be aware. Let's take a look at number six. What will the brightness of Jesus coming do to the living wicked? Now remember, in the secret rapture, uh, you know, people disappear and then they just kind of make adjustments and life goes on. And then later when he returns again and subsets of his kingdom amongst the wicked, the wicked keep living. But let's see what the Bible has to say. Second Thessalonians 1, verse 7 and 8 says, And to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking what? Vengeance on those who do not know God. And so how is that vengeance manifested? 2 Thessalonians 2.8 tells us, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, and what? And destroy with the brightness of his coming. You see, God's presence is a consuming fire to sin. It's not, it's not like when Jesus returns, he's going to have his AK-47 lightning gun and one of the angels is going to say, ooh, look, there's one hiding behind that rock. <laughs> it, it's not God coming with some laser cannon to kill the wicked. His presence is purity. It's holiness. It's righteousness. And sin cannot be in its presence. And if we cling to sin, we make the choice of self-destruction. It's not that God wants to destroy anyone. But we cling to the thing that will destroy us. So where did this secret rapture business come from? You know, we studied how in the Reformation, during the Dark Ages when the Word of God was removed and superstition and, uh, and tradition is what dominated the minds of, of, of faith during that time and people were without hope um, God raised up a reformation and it began with the word of God. And, and the reformation basically had four critical points. One is that the Bible and the Bible only is the guide of life. By the way, that's still the way the reformation works. If you want to change life, it's going to begin with your word, with the word of God. Just telling you. It won't help you if you bring it to church once a week. But it began with the Bible. It's the guide of life. Number two, Jesus only. Salvation is only through Christ. It's not through the church. And faith only in Jesus. It's not salvation by works. And that the Antichrist, the one who opposed Christ, was the system known as the papacy. Are you with me? Now, when the Bible came into the hands of the people, 
people began to recognize truth and the power of the papacy was broken. So much so that it was almost done away with entirely, but the papacy made an incredible comeback. Prophecy said that she would. And what, what the, the, the response of the papacy was to create a counter-reformation. And uh, there's a number of things that they did, but one of the main things is they raised up a new order of priests known as the Jesuits. The Jesuit order, if you will, is the SS within the Catholic Church. They're the secret service. They answer only to the Pope, directly. That's the only order, directly. And in 1614, a Jesuit priest, Alcazar of Seville, came up with a teaching that theologians refer to as preterism. And what he taught, what he came up with in an effort to throw off the the pointing finger of uh, the papacy as being the Antichrist, they want to take the heat off, he came up with a teaching uh, that the Antichrist manifested himself in the past. And uh, it manifested himself in an obscure uh, uh, Seleucian king known as Antiochus Epiphanes. That sound familiar? There's the origin. Then later, Francisco Rabira, another Jesuit priest, in, the 18, uh, in 1590, came up with a 500-volume or 500-page book on the commentary of Scripture, and he came up with a different teaching known as Futurism. And in Futurism, his teaching was is that the Antichrist would manifest himself at the end of history in an attempt to take the, point, the scriptural pointing finger off the papacy, the sad reality is, is that Protestantism embraced it. If you look in your book, in your, in your uh, handout, you should have a document that is entitled The End and How It Got, it, how it got That Way. Are you there? It's in the, it's, it's in the bulletin. It's in the, we got to staple that together and make a book, don't we? That's gotten awfully thick. Are you there? While you're looking for it, this is an article that came out in, Sci- in Times Magazine. Okay, I forgot to put down the reference. That's Time Magazine, July 1, 2002. I, I, I got this because it was really interesting. First of all, I want to say that the article is written by individuals that were, that were secular. So you have a secular perspective on Bible prophecy, more specific, on the second coming. Are you with me? So why, the reason I say that is I am not advocating this as truth. But there's an aspect in here that I thought very helpful in the topic that we're talking about right now uh, of the secret rapture. Turn to the second page, and um, I'll give you a little background so we don't have to read this whole thing. But what's happening here, in essence, is they're talking about uh, the development of S-time eschatology in the United States. And uh, how in the 1800s, there was a move, uh, there was the belief that the millennium would take place prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. That there would be a thousand years of peace on earth that would usher in the second coming of Jesus. That that humanity could usher in a thousand years of peace. All right? And that was really popular in in the United States. But then the Civil War broke out. And they were confronted with the reality that what they were teaching was not true. And it blew away their end-time eschatology. All right? By the way, if you wonder about a lot of the movements, uh, the anti-slavery movement was really motivated by this. 
uh, to, cre- to usher in that thousand years. Uh, so, that, so there was an effort to correct every sin in society. And uh, so there was uh, the, the prohibition uh, movements and whatnot. A lot of that was motivated off of this theology. So there were some good things that came out of it, but, but it wasn't truth. So now uh, uh, the religious world in the United States was shattered. Now watch what happens. That's why I found this article so interesting. Okay, something changed. The man with the plan was an Anglican priest turned traveling evangelist preacher named John Nelson Darby who arrived in the United States in 1862 for the first of seven visits bearing a radical new eschatology. Darby and minister Cyrus Schofield, sound familiar? who would expand the evangelist ideas in the vastly influential Schofield Reference Bible, divided God's relationship with man into seven ages. The current six began with the death of Christ. Their vision grimly upended the previous wisdom. Far from getting ever better, things on earth would progressively worsen until the Antichrist, also known as the beast, arose. A seven-year hell-like tribulation would begin, survived by only a small human remnant. Not until then would Christ return, defeat the Antichrist, commence his millennium. Much of Darby's uh, scriptural synthesis has been suggested piecemeal by earlier thinkers. And I just shared with you the earlier thinkers. But Darby pulled it together. I keep going. His most striking innovation. Whose innovation? His. Striking innovation was the timing of a concept called the rapture drawn from the Apostle Paul's prediction that believers would fly up to meet Christ in heaven, which that's true. It's just the secret part that's not. Most theologians, most theologians understood it as part of the resurrection, okay, which takes place at the second coming, at the end, at, the, at time's very end. Darby repositioned it. At the apocalypse very beginning, a small shift with large implications, you bet. It spared true believers the tribulation. How appealing. Leaving the horrors to non-believers and the doctrinally misled, thus moving Christianity's us versus them concept of heaven and hell into a new and exciting theater, and that's where it belongs, in the theater. Because it's not true. It isn't true. You know, if I want to know what the end is going to be like, I want to go to my Bible. And I want to go to Jesus and have him tell me. Open your Bibles to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 uh, is a chapter where Jesus talks about the signs of the end. Uh, Matthew 24. Um, in the other Gospels, what's repeated here uh, is repeated in, in, in Mark 13, Luke 21, and also Luke uh, 17. But in Matthew 24, 37 through 39, Jesus has something to say that we need to be paying attention to. If you're there, say Amen. And what we're going to find is that Jesus compares his coming to the day of Noah. Okay? He doesn't elaborate a lot on it. He leaves it for us to study. But, there are some, there, but we all know the story. So there's elements up here we can glean pretty quickly. But, um, but Matthew 24, beginning with verse 37, says, But as the days of, of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus has put us on notice. Okay? Bible students, we need to be paying attention. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, uh, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. 
so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. My friends, in the time of Noah, there are only two groups of people, saved, lost. And when the judgment hit, the lost were destroyed. There was no second chance. There was no third chance. Something else we need to pay attention to is the ratio of saved to lost. We need to be paying attention. The way that leads to the kingdom is a narrow way. The broad and popular way, everybody's on it. We don't want to be on that way. By the way, I want to show something else to you here. Uh, take a look carefully at verse 39. Lord, I need your help. Please. Look at verse 39, right? Talking about the wicked, right? And did not know till the flood came and what? Took them. Took them. You know, it's interesting. In the left behind teaching, the people left behind are the ones that are lost. But in the scriptures, they're the ones that are saved. There's a group taken away and there's a group left behind. Isn't that interesting? How the devil has turned that on its head? He says, took them away. All right, now watch the... the, 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 the oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Past, future, tense. Watch the tense here, okay? Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken and the other left. And every time we read this, we assume the one taken has gone to heaven. But the group taken is the one destroyed. Now, if you want to see this fleshed out a little more, if some of you in your Bibles, in verse 40, you will see Luke 17, 34. Do you see that? Turn to Luke 17, 34. Because Jesus is going to answer what happens to the group taken. Luke 17, verse 34. Are you there? So we're going to pick up here. We're going to pick up in what Jesus, what the, the words recorded in Matthew. But this time, a question is asked by the disciples that's not recorded in Matthew. It is recorded in Luke. All right, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Verse 34, I tell you in that night there will be two men in one bed. By the way, that word man is mankind. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. It's be two people in bed is all that's really saying. <laughs> people, anyway. I tell you in that night that there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding together. One taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. One taken and the other left. And the answer is said to him, where? What's the question? What are, they, what, what are the disciples asking? Where are they going to be taken? So Jesus said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The corpse. The ones taken are lost. The ones left behind are saved. The devil has turned the scriptures on its head and came up with his own theology. But friends, if we know the word of God, we will not be deceived. We've got to know the word. Let's take a look. Continue here in Luke 17. Uh, because now God, Jesus makes another comparison, and that is Lot's day. Luke 17, and I'm going to read verse 28 to 20. If you're there, you should be there. Amen? Verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Uh, wait, am I in the right place? Luke 17, 28. No, 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 no. I'm in the wrong place. 
I'm down here. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. My friends, there are only two groups in that story too, saved and lost. The lost were destroyed. By the way, what was the ratio of saved? And lost. We need to be paying attention and we need to be in the Word of God and not be following any preacher, including this one here. Let's continue. Verse uh, question number seven What will happen to the righteous who are dead at Jesus' coming? Ah, let's open our Bibles. We got to read this whole thing. This is really cool. First Thessalonians. I didn't want you to bring your Bibles here for nothing. First Thessalonians. Chapter 4. And let's pick up in verse 15. If you're there, say amen. It says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Wow, that sounds pretty authoritative, don't you think? That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I look forward to that day. I look forward to it. You know, I, I oftentimes, when I, I need some time alone with God, I'll go to a cemetery. People don't bother you there. And uh, after I've poured out my heart in prayer, many times I'll walk around and I'll just look at the various tombstones and read the inscriptions. I'll read how long various people lived, some long lives, I mean, comparatively speaking. Others were children. And I'll share something that I firmly believe. I believe that when God dis- gives us a guardian angel and we die and we're buried, that angel stands watch over that tomb waiting for the voice of the life giver. That's what I believe. At least for the, the, for the individual that accepted Jesus as their savior. And I'll stand there in the cemetery and I'll look around and I'll think to myself, how many, I wonder how many of these tombs are going to open when that little cloud appears in the eastern sky. My friends, we're going to see our loved ones again. We're going to see our friends. We're just pilgrims here. This world is not our home. Don't make it your home because it's passing away. But when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, Paul tells us. Take a look at number eight. At this point, what will happen to the believing and resurrected saints? 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and 53 says, and the dead will be raised, how? Incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Immortality is put on at the coming of Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's what it says. You know, uh, how many of you here know Bud uh, Manker? I was talking to Bud this week, and he, was, he heard that we're, that we're leaving, so we chatted, and uh, I said, Bud, I'm going to see you again, 
And if you know Bud, Bud is in his 80s and he is a servant. He has the heart of a servant. Precious soul. I said, Bud, in the earth made new, you and I are going to have a race to the top of a hill. We're going to race, Bud. We are. God is going to give to us new bodies, my friends. Character is developed now to be like Jesus. It's not going to be changed at the coming of Jesus. That's developed now as we surrender our lives to him. But what is changed is our bodies. You will not find a text in scripture anywhere that will say that your character will be changed at the second coming. You won't find it. It's not there. We learn to be like Jesus by surrendering to Jesus day by day. But what's changed are our bodies. So very important. But yes, a better day is coming. We will be changed. There will be men, there will be people that will not see death. They'll be translated without seeing it. And I believe they're in this room right now. I believe Christ is soon to return. Let's take a look at number nine. After being changed, what will happen to the righteous? 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be what? That's your word rapture. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. By the way, please take note, Jesus' feet does not touch the ground. I, I share this with you because I, I believe, and we're going to look at some verses here, I believe the scripture is warning us that the devil is going to make an attempt at a false coming. He can't, he can't imitate this, what we're reading. He doesn't have the angels to, to fill the sky with. Are you with me? He can't, there's a lot. So the only people who are going to be deceived are the people who don't know their word. So, so very important. Um, but that, that's, that's the rapture there. But let's keep going. Number 10. What solemn warning does Jesus give about a second coming? Matthew 24, 5 says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive a few. Isn't that sad? And so we hear stories of people like Jim Jones, or David Koresh, or the Heaven's Gate cult. But you know, we can follow, we can look at the pastor that way too. There's only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And He's revealed in the Word of God. Isn't that true? It's only the, the Word there. Let's continue. Matthew 24, 24 and 26. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. Hey, we haven't seen that yet. We know it's coming down the pike. Buyer beware. Just because it's a miracle doesn't mean it's from God. Remember that. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to what? Deceive if possible, uh, even the elect. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Look, he's in the inner room. Do not what? Don't believe it. Why? Because the Bible tells us that when Jesus returns, all the angels are going to be with him. They tell us that we're going to meet him in the air, that the dead are going to be raised, that the living are going to be changed. And if you don't see all that going on, then the being in front of you who claims to be Jesus, he may be glowing and sound really nice and sing pretty, it ain't Christ. You know, when I was um, teaching at uh, Enterprise Academy, the principal there had been a missionary in Singapore. And he told us of an event that took place in the community in some of the local churches there uh, one Sunday when a glowing being had showed up in the different churches announcing that he was Christ. Now, if you knew your Bibles, what's the answer to that? It wasn't Christ. 
My friends, we're going to be seeing a lot of that in the coming days. I believe there is a crisis coming. The Bible tells us. And it's going to take humanity by surprise. And it's going to push everyone into a decision to either trust Jesus or trust man. And today, today, we are making little incremental decisions on who we're trusting. And the reality is we're going to trust somebody, either ourselves or someone else or God. But each day with the problems we face, we're either learning to trust Him or to trust something else. A crisis doesn't make or break a person and only reveals them. Number 11. What will prevent the righteous from being deceived? Isaiah 8.20. To the what? The law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is a little light in them. There's a big difference, isn't there? Otherwise, truth and error is, is very lethal. And God is saying, if you got that mix, you've just got flat-out error. But, uh, but truth never mixes with error. The biggest struggle... You see, the devil is, a, is really good at counterfeiting. He's a counterfeiter. And... Um, but, but the only way that we can tell things apart is if we know the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, he would always answer, Thus, uh, it is written. That was always his response. That has to be our response. Jesus came to show us how to defeat the devil. But you know what? Eve didn't do that. Eve did not have a fallen nature like you and I do. She did not have a natural propensity to evil. Eve, Eve was firing on all eight cylinders. She was a whole lot brighter than we are. I hate to say this, don't be offended, but we're dumber than a box of rocks. And, and, and the, quick, the sooner we find out, we, we accept that, the quicker we're going to trust Jesus Christ. But Eve, Eve was firing on all eight cylinders, and God gave her the word. But instead, she went with her senses. She saw that the tree was good for fruit. She saw that the snake ate it. It didn't die. And she went against the word and went with her senses. She went with her feelings. Are you listening to me? That's lethal. We have to make decisions based on the word of God. So if there's a glowing being shows up in front of you and claims to be Christ and you don't see all this other stuff going on, you're going to have to make a decision either based on the word of God or on your feelings and your senses. Does that make sense? We're going to have to make a decision. But if we place our confidence in the word, we will not be disappointed. Number 12. Would it be safe to go see a false Christ? Matthew 24, 26 there says, therefore if, uh, uh, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go. You already have an answer from the Lord. God already answered your question. Should I go? He already answered it. But if you go, God will not protect you. Now, I'm going to share something here that might make some people a little uncomfortable. By the way, remember, curiosity does what to cats? does the same thing to Christians if they go against the word of God. You know, I, I grew up not too far from Hollywood. I even worked for them for a little while before I gave my life to Jesus. Hollywood has given to us immorality. Hollywood has given to us murder. It has given to us lying. It, it has given to us all kinds of, of, of horror and called it entertainment. God calls it an abomination. And, um, and, and, and every once in a while, Hollywood gives us Jesus. Buyer beware about going into the secret chambers. 
and listening to a Jesus that does not come from the throne room of light. My friends, if we don't go to the Bible for Jesus and we go to Hollywood, our hope of heaven is in vain. Hollywood will never give you the right Jesus. Never. You only find him in the Word of God. I had to say it. Number 13. What can we know about the time of Jesus' return? Matthew 24, 33 says, So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Now stop. Think sanctuary. Think sanctuary in heaven. What doors, not door, doors are we talking about? There's two doors in the sanctuary in heaven. When the investigative judgment is finished, he's walking out of those doors. My friends, Jesus is even at the door. You know, when I use that expression, keep looking up, in Matthew 24, Jesus said, when you see all these signs, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. It's look up by faith into the heavenly sanctuary that God is about to finish his work. Does this make sense? Open your Bibles to the book of James. James, the brother of Jesus. James chapter 5. If you're there, James chapter 5, say amen. James 5, and I'm going to pick up in verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord... See how, the former, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the Jesus is soon to return. This is not the time for us to gossip uh, one another or to talk bad. We need to be encouraging one another in the Lord. Isn't that true? My friends, the Lord is soon to return. He is coming very soon. Did I read the next one? No. Uh, Matthew 24, 36 says, But of that day and hour, what's the answer? No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but who? My Father only. Just like on earth, when when the high priest was involved on the Day of Atonement, no one knew when he was coming out. So in the, in the work, in the heavenly sanctuary, we don't know when he's coming out. So if somebody starts trying to convince you of a day and an hour, you already know the Bible. I don't care how many degrees are behind their name. It just makes them more deceptive. No one knows that God is too smart to tell us the day and the hour because he knows what we're like. Oh, I got six years. I'm good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit my bucket list and then repent at the very end. Right? Well, the devil is out there with his shotgun going, yeah, go with the plan. And I'll see to it you never repent. God is way too smart to be telling us days and hours. But what he does do is he tells us signs. And in Matthew 24, he says what's going on. Listen, you read Matthew 24, it's everything that's happening right now around the world. We, we, are, we are the generation that's watching the fulfillment. Jesus is soon to return, friends. The only bucket list we want now is what we're going to do when we get to heaven. 
That's the only bucket list we need to be working on right now. Number 14. What will the angels uh, do at Jesus' second coming? Matthew 24, 31 says, His angels will what? Will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. My friends, we have a family that that encircles the globe. And when Jesus returns, those angels are going to come and gather us all together. But again, I want to stress to you that before Jesus comes, there is going to be a time of trouble. And today we are learning to either trust him or not with the struggles that we uh, face. This idea in the secret rapture that we escape tribulation doesn't match up with scripture. The children of Israel went through tribulation before they got out of, they got out of Egypt. Isn't that true? Uh, Job went through tribulation before he finally uh, got things returned to him. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego went through tribulation. Daniel went through tribulation. God does not bring us away from problems. He leads us and brings us through them. That's how we're refined. We're not, we don't develop Christ-like characters in a soda shop. It's not on the mountaintop, it's in the valley that those things are developed. But God is going to bring the elect. You know, so if somebody dies in, in Singapore and, 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 you're, and, and you die in the United States, when Jesus comes, the angels are going to reunite you, friends. He's going to reunite us. Number 15. Since we are living just before Jesus' second coming, how should we relate to the solemn, glorious event? Matthew 24, 44 says, Therefore you also what? Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not what? Expect. You can get hit by a bus tomorrow and your next thought is the second coming. Hey, I have news for you, by the way. Jesus is coming in everybody's lifetime. Because the moment you die, your next thought, the next thing you see is Christ. You know, I'm glad it doesn't say get ready. It says be ready. You know, the Bible also in reference to Christ talks about the fact that he told people be healed. Are you listening? The emphasis is be, be healed. Then the Father says to us, be holy. How many here can heal themselves? How many here can make themselves holy? So can you make yourself ready? All you can do is to yield to the one who can make you ready. Does that make sense? Praise God. Let's take a look at number 16. How will people be rewarded at Jesus' second coming? Revelation twenty-two twelve says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his what? His work. Now, don't get thrown off. No one is saved by works. We are saved by faith. But our works reveal our faith. By faith, Noah built an ark. He believed that a a, a flood was coming. How do we know that? Because he built the ark. That's how we know. And so if we really believe Jesus is coming, our lives are going to reveal it, and we're going to be sharing this good news with other people so that they don't get lost. We don't want somebody coming up to us after the high priest has left the most holy place and say, you knew? 
We worked together all these years. I was your neighbor all these years and you knew and you didn't tell me. Now I'm lost. Thanks. We don't want that, do we? No. No, if we appreciate what we've been given, we're going to share it with others. Amen? We have an evangelistic series that's going to be coming. The fall. John Earnhardt's going to be coming here. My friends, we have co-workers. We have neighbors. We have classmates. We have friends whose salvation is hanging in the balance. Their eternal life is in jeopardy. And God has placed you where you are to invite them. So important. Number 17. What will the judgment, what will the wicked say when Jesus returns, okay? I mean, if it's invisible, they don't have much to say. But, but we've learned it's not. They, they, they know it. Watch this. Revelation six fifteen and 17. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? Isn't that sad? That they, they're going to run to the rocks and just say, crush me out. I can't stand to be in the presence of love. I can't handle being before the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God. Isn't that sad? No, my friends, there is nothing to fear in Him. He is a friend. He risked heaven to save you and me. He risked eternal loss so that you and I can, can be in heaven with him. How sad that there are others who have such a wrong concept, who embraced unrighteousness that they can no longer stand in the presence of righteousness. But the question is asked, who will be able to stand? The Bible answers, the righteous will. Because God will do a work in them so that they'll be ready. Can you say amen to that? Number 18. What will the righteous say when Jesus appears? This is really interesting. This is another one of those clues. You've got to be paying attention. Matthew 25, 9, it says, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will what? Save us. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Stop for a second. If you read it right, just like that, you miss it. You see, there's going to be a false appearing. And the world is going to follow it. There's going to be one small group that won't. And when Christ appears, they're going to say, Behold, this is our God. We waited for him, and he's going to save us. Is that not awesome? Amen. Number 19. What is the prime purpose of Jesus' second coming? Matthew 14.3. Matthew 14.3. Excuse me, John. John 14.3 says, I will come again. And what? Receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You see, sin separated us from God. God instituted the plan of salvation, placed himself at risk to be reunited the atonement, the atonement has taken place and humanity and his, their creator is together again. 
That is the closure. That is the goal of the plan of salvation. My friends, I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus promise to come the first time as our Savior, as our sacrifice? Did he come? Did Jesus promise that he would come again? Will he come? He will come. So here is your chance to respond to Jesus. My friends, Jesus is coming in the clouds very soon. Won't you plan now to be ready to meet him in peace? Who wants to be there to meet him in peace when he returns? God bless you. My prayer is that we will be there to meet him in peace. Father, we're so thankful that a better day is coming. Father, we are reminded, reminded this weekend, as Swellen and I and the family prepare to go, that this world isn't our home. We are pilgrims. And we go wherever you lead us to do whatever you call us to do. And then when that work is accomplished, you remind us that we are unprofitable servants. Everything good in us is because of you. Father, I pray that what we studied here today will remain in our hearts and minds, that we may not be deceived by the fanciful errors of the day. You told us that at the end, every wind of doctrine would be blowing. Oh, Father, help us to maintain our, our focus upon you. Lord, I thank you for all my friends here. Bless them, Lord. Keep them, I do pray. I pray, Father, you place a hedge of angels, a ring of fire around each one to guard them until that day that you bring them safe into the celestial city that you have prepared. We thank you as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, we love you. We thank you that you gave us the privilege of serving you. I've already asked God to forgive me for resisting his call when he called me up here. It has been a rich experience. But I want you to remember that we have an appointment on the sea of glass. Then not one be missing. And I, I just want to share with you, in closing, an old Irish blessing. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rain fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you all in the hollow of his mighty hand. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.